Good morning. You'll be receiving a little uh, worksheet to, uh, to have as we have our lesson together this morning. I'll, I'll begin by reading from Matthew uh, chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, if you'd like to read uh, along. Matthew 4. We're so thankful, ever grateful. Well, the wonderful work being done in our, in our classes, especially our little ones. Our little ones are, are doing so well working through the New Testament uh, this year. They have studied through the life of John the Baptist and have now studied through the episodes of the birth of Jesus and have looked at Jesus at age 12 and have li- recently been studying in the temptations of Christ. We'll be reading about those from Matthew uh, chapter 4. But we're very grateful for the wonderful efforts made from so many that are helping our our little ones to to get that foundation they need uh, in life. So as these these little worksheets are being uh, distributed. We'll, we'll just go ahead and read Matthew 4 about the temptations of Christ beginning in verse 1. Matthew 4 beginning in verse 1. Matthew records, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread, loaves of bread. He answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Then Matthew 4 verse 7, Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these will I give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. I would love to study that for just a little while. We're not going to. But when the devil left, the angels came. When the devil left, the angels came. We're looking here at Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11, and we're going to simply refer to this lesson as, This is life. This is life. This is your life. This is my life. All of us have things which are different. We have different interests. We have our favorite colors, we have our favorite food, we have our favorite places to go, 
We have our different interests. We have different talents. We have different backgrounds. We all come from different places. And we have experienced different things. But at the same time, we have some common realities. And we'll look at three of those common realities uh, that are suggested here uh, from these temptations of Jesus. And so, let's just go through this together and hopefully you'll have a pen or pencil. And I encourage you to make these notes. And um, this is just a review of how life is. Life 101. Number one, there is an enemy who wants to destroy us. Number one, there is an enemy who wants to destroy us, and of course that is the devil. You might write down 1 Peter 5 and verse 8, where Peter writes, Be vigilant, be sober, for your adversary the devil walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Divide. The devil doesn't just want to harm us. He doesn't want just to agitate us. He wants to destroy us. He wants to devour us. Have you ever seen what's left over after a lion or even a dog gets through with a carcass? That's what the devil wants to do with us. Okay. And there's a few things we need to know about the devil. So let's notice these. There's a few things we need, need, need to know about uh, the devil. First, he is our only real enemy. He is our only real or true enemy. Why do we say that? Well, the Bible mentions enemies in different ways. Those who are worldly are mentioned as enemies. Philippians 3 18 and 19 mentions enemies of the cross of Jesus. And Paul goes on there in Philippians 3, 18 and 19 and says, These are the ones whose God is their belly, who mind earthly things. You see. So those who walk according to the world are regarded as enemies of the cross. James 4, verse 4. James says, If we are friends of the world then we are enemies of God. Friendship with the world puts, your, puts yourself at enmity, at opposition of God. Those who oppose God's will or compromise God's will are regarded as enemies. Galatians 4 verse 16, Paul asked the question, Have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Those who would do harm to God's people are regarded as enemies. Matthew 5, 43-46. But the thing is, we are not to regard other human beings as our real enemies. We want them to go to heaven. In fact, Jesus teaches us there in Matthew 5, 43-46 that we are to love our enemies and do good to our enemies. Why? So that we can bring glory to God. So that we can be His children. So that others can become the children of God as well. In 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 15, as we warn our brothers, Paul said this, 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 15, he says, don't treat him as an enemy, but warn him, admonish him as a brother. As a brother. We want him 
We want Him to be serving Christ. We want Him to be in heaven. The big difference is we don't want, you know, Satan has no business in heaven. He's made that clear. Okay. Satan is the only real, true enemy that we have. He is regarded as the prince of this world, John 12, 31. He is uh, known to be the tempter. We read about that there in Matthew 4 and verse 3. He's the tempter. Jesus calls him the father of all liars, John 8, verse 44. As we saw, Peter calls him the adversary. Your adversary, the devil, walks about. Revelation 12, 9 through 11 speaks of the devil as the old serpent, the ancient serpent, the old serpent, referring back to the Garden of Eden. And he is uh, the devil, he's the Satan, he is the deceiver of the world, he is the accuser of the brethren, he is the only true enemy. And we need to remember who it is. We are at war but our war is against Satan and all that he is trying to accomplish. The B part here is he's making a huge impact in the world. Notice this. He's making a huge impact in this world. Think about what he's done in just Bible times. He tempted Eve. And he got Adam also. He showed up in, in the time of Job. Talking to God about Job. He is the one, Luke 22, 3 says, He entered into the heart of Judas Iscariot. He entered into the heart of Judas, and Judas betrayed the Lord. He come and met Jesus in the wilderness. And Luke 22, Jesus warns Peter about him. Luke 22, 30 and 31. He said, Satan desires to have you, Peter, that he may sift you like wheat. Yeah, the devil has been everywhere. He's seen a lot of things. He's done a lot of damage. And we don't have to look very far. He's done damage in my family. What about yours? He's done damage to me. What about you? The devil is at work. We don't have to look very far to see Him. He's made a huge impact in this world. So we know He's the only true enemy. He is making a huge impact in this world. I grew up at Curry, near Smith Lake. We had a great song leader there. He was very, very talented. I'll never forget him. We had a little small auditorium, but we could, we could really raise the roof with the singing. And this... This young man, I remember him. He, he was, when I was sitting in the pew as a teenager, he, was, he had a family and kids. He was about in his 30s. And he'd walk up to the front. He, had a, he would always have on cowboy boots. And he would lead singing like nobody's business. But he got to also be part of a musical group. He was very musically talented. And that musical group began to play at different places where they didn't belong. Country clubs, other social events where there was drinking involved. And let me just tell you something. The short story is this. This man is now, very soon after all that 
he was away from his wife, he was away from his children, he was away from his family, and he's also away from the church, and as far as we know, he's never come back. See, the devil is at work in this old world. And then, another thing about the devil is, he works in a very deceitful way. He works in deceitful way. D-E-C-E-I-T-F-U-L, deceitful. The devil works in deceitful ways. We know that the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 11, 12-15, that he often appears as an angel of light. Yeah. He's known, as we said before, he's known as the father of liars. Deceiving is his big thing. And so let's notice a few ways in which he works here. About seven ways. But this is what you call... A sermon within a sermon. This is where you could preach another sermon while you're preaching one sermon. We're going to spare you that. And we're going to quickly run through these seven. Okay. But one of these days maybe Aaron will come back up, come up here and, and preach these seven for us. Okay. But here we go. He works in very deceitful ways. First thing he does, he keeps people away from the Word of God. The devil works very hard to keep people away from the Word of God. In the parable of the sower, Luke 8, 11, and 12, Jesus helps us apply the seed. And He said, the first thing that happens is, oftentimes, when the seed gets into our heart, the devil comes and takes it away, takes the Word out of our heart, lest we should believe and be saved. He takes the Word out of our heart. He works very hard to keep us away from the Bible. And you can see that in your life. How hard is it to get to the Bible? How hard is it to get to your Bible reading? How hard is it to get to your Bible study? We must work very hard to fight Satan in this regard. Number two, he leads people to misuse the Bible. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 2. He leads people to misuse the Bible. Paul says there in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 2 that many tamper with the Word of God. But Paul said, we preach it with just an open statement of the truth. Just with an open statement of the truth. In other words, Paul said, we just preach it in simplicity. Here it is. We're not going to tamper with it. We're not going to add to it. We're not going to take away. We're going to let the Bible speak for itself. But the devil leads people to misuse the Bible. Number three, he discourages us from teaching the gospel. He discourages us from teaching the gospel. And again, just like Bible study, how hard is it for us to get to this? It takes a lot of focus to teach the Word. Number four, he makes bad things look good. This is how the devil works. He makes bad things look good. He is an angel of light. Isaiah 5 and verse 20 says, Woe to them that call good evil and evil good that put light for darkness and darkness for light, that put sweet for bitter and bitter for sweet. That's the devil's work right there. Light for darkness, truth for error, and he makes, he, you know, for a long time, those who, who supported abortion, they didn't call it abortion, they didn't call it murder, they called it choice. Woman's choice. That's the devil's work there. Trying to make something that is bad to seem good, or even beneficial, even helpful to somebody. We've got to be on our guard because He makes bad things look good. Number five, He uses our own desires against us. 
He uses our own desires against us. It's an interesting situation. One time I heard a lesson on good things gone bad in the Garden of Eden. That's exactly right. The desires that God has given us are all good. The, the eyes that we have, the ears that we have, the hunger that we have are all good things. It's necessary for life. But the devil comes in and he uses those very desires against us. James 1, 13 and 14 talks about how that every man is, is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust, his own desires. And then when that lust conceives, it brings forth sin, and then sin, before it's finished with us, it'll bring us spiritual death. It'll take us away from God. So he uses our own desires against us. He's trying to do that with Satan here in Matthew 4. It doesn't work with Jesus. Satan is trying to do this with Jesus in Matthew 4. Jesus has been fasting for 40 days, so I'll just use his hunger against him. It didn't work. It didn't work with Jesus. I'll try to appeal to a pride with Jesus. It didn't work. It didn't work with Jesus. That's what he does. Number six, he strikes at the very foundations of life. He strikes at the very foundations of life. He wants our children. He wants our children. The devil is smart enough to know that he has to get our little ones when they're young. That's why we have our Bible classes. That's why we emphasize for our parents to teach their little ones, teach the Word of God. Didn't David say in Psalm 119, 9 through 11, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. It is only the word of God that can protect our children. But the devil is after our kids. He is trying to destroy the home. Look around and see where the devil is working the hardest. Look into our homes. Look into the homes of those you work with. Look at the homes of those who, who are at school. And you'll see this is where the devil strikes. And number seven... He strikes us at our weakest moments. He strikes us at our weakest moments. I want to just mention this for just a minute or two. He strikes, you know, he told Peter, he said, Jesus told Peter, the devil desires to have you that he may sift you as weak. He's looking for our weakest parts, our weakest moments. I want you to notice this. On the uh, monitor, the letters H A L T. H A L T. This, these letters represent times in which the devil will get us if we're not very careful. These are some of our weakest moments. Here we go. H stands for hurry. When we are hurried in life, when we are rushing about, the devil often strikes. He often strikes. When we have a deadline to meet, then we become anxious. When we are hurrying about, when we have no time for Bible study, when we're not praying to the Lord as we ought, when we're hurrying through life, then the devil is going to strike. You say, well, I can't help but being busy. Then you've got to get up earlier and pray and study then. Or if you're a night person, stay up later and study and pray then. 
But the devil gets us because we have a hurried life. Also, when we're angry, A stands for angry. Let not, didn't Paul say that, Ephesians 4, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Be angry and sin not, he says. Yeah, we're going to get agitated about things, but the Lord expects us to be able to control our anger and even channel it toward proper things, toward doing His will. Watch out for anger. And then third situation is loneliness. When we're lonely. Oh, the devil loves it. He loves it. How many young men have fallen prey to desires and lusts because all they have with them is a phone, computer, and themselves and all the time in the world. Parents, watch out for that. Don't let, don't let your young men or ladies have access to the world and have time alone. Potiphar's wife, Genesis 39, waited till Joseph was alone and then she struck and tried to take him down. And then, when we're tired, when we're tired, these are four weak moments that the devil will strike. When we're hurried, when we're angry, when we're lonely, and when we're tired, so we need to be on guard against Satan. Our second major ideal here about life, not only is there an enemy who wants to destroy us, but there's also an experience which ought to humble us. There's an experience that ought to humble, humble us. And of course, this experience is sin. Is sin. We won't take near as much time with this. The experience that ought to humble us is sin. Let's just refer to the example of David when he sinned against Uriah and against Bathsheba, and then God sent Nathan the prophet to him, 2 Samuel 12, and Nathan decided to tell him a little story about these two men in the city. One was rich and one was poor. And the rich man had all kinds of, of sheep, all kinds of flocks, plenty, and to spare. But the poor man only had one lamb. And that lamb stayed in the house with him and his family. And they treated that lamb like a daughter. They the lamb was, was with them in the house and sat with them and slept with them. A traveler came along to the rich man. And so instead of taking something out of his flock, the rich man went to the poor man, took his only lamb, and slew it so that he'd have it to prepare for the traveler that was coming through. And David became enraged and said, Who is this man? He will be punished. He will restore fourfold. And Nathan the prophet said to David, Thou art the man. Thou art the man. David, you have. God blessed you as king. God blessed you with all his responsibilities. God blessed you with all these goods and, and, and more to spare. And what have you done? You've killed Uriah and you've taken Bathsheba to be your wife when she was his. And David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And then when you turn over to Psalm 51, you'll see David confessing his sin. 
There's an experience in life that we all experience, and it is called sin. All have sinned, Romans 3, 23, and we have fallen short of the glory of God. But what is going to be our reaction to this? It's got to humble us. The Bible teaches about a broken heart, Psalm 51, 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken and contract spirit. God loves these. If sin breaks our heart and humbles us, then the Lord will draw near to us. Jesus taught this in Luke 18, 9-13. He told about the parable of the Pharisee and the publican. Well, you remember the Pharisee. He, he couldn't help but just talk about himself. But the publican way over there in the corner of the temple, as he prayed, he could not even bring himself to look to God But he said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's a broken heart, and that's what what we need. That's what we need. Now, Peter sinned in denying the Lord, and he went out and wept bitterly. But Judas also sinned and betrayed the Lord, and he went out and hung himself. What's the difference? Well, I can't speak for all that was in Judas' mind, but we can learn this. There's a difference in feeling bad about what you've done and feeling bad enough to humble yourself before God. Peter felt terrible about what he had done, but he humbled himself and come back to the Lord. Judas also felt bad about his betrayal, but he went out and hung himself. You see, as we've read on Sunday nights several times lately and back to the Bible, 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10 says, Godly sorrow leads to repentance. And number three here, our third major ideal. There is an example which ought to inspire us. This is life. There's an enemy who wants to destroy us. There's an experience that ought to humble us. There's an example that ought to inspire us, and of course, this is the example of Jesus. 1 John 2, verse 6 says, We are to walk as He walked, because He did, never did a sin. He is the greatest, perfect example ever to live and ever to walk on this earth, and you know that. Let's just fill in the blanks here and notice these different situations in life. See Jesus in the temple. See Jesus in the temple. Remember in John 8, he's in the temple and he's teaching. They bring in a woman who was caught in a very act of adultery. And Jesus has compassion upon her. And he also has those accusers to look at themselves rather closely in their own sins. There's never been an example like Jesus. See Jesus in the wilderness here in Matthew 4 against Satan. See Jesus in the wilderness. One of the things that that helps us, and we can overcome the devil. And one of the things that helps us to overcome the devil is to learn to have a firm no. You've got to learn the word no. Finally, in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 10, Jesus said, Be gone, Satan. Be gone. A firm no to Satan is what the world needs. See, James 4 and verse 7 says, Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. It takes a firm note. Joseph refused the advances of Potiphar's wife. He refused it. He said no. Jesus teaches this. Matthew chapter 18, 7 through 9. 
He says, if your foot offends you, cut it off. If your arm offends you, cut it off. It's better to enter into life halt or main than to have two hands and two feet and be cast into the eternal fire. A firm no is what the world needs. Jesus in the temple, Jesus in the wilderness, also see Jesus on the water. He's walking on the water and Peter is out there with him. And Peter begins to look at the storm. He begins to sink. He says, Lord, Lord, help me. Save me. Immediately Jesus saved him. But he also says to Peter, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Notice the example of Jesus there. He both saved the life of Peter, but also taught him a very important spiritual lesson about faith and doubt at the same time. So see Jesus on the water. See Jesus in the garden as He prayed. He prayed like nobody's business. His sweat became as great drops of blood. Matthew 26, 39. Luke 22, 42. Jesus prayed earnestly because He was facing the cross. He was bearing the burden of our sins. He had the weight of the world on Him. He teaches us to pray fervently and intensely. So see Jesus in the garden, and finally see Jesus on the cross. See Jesus on the cross. All of these are really sermons within the sermons. Think about Jesus on the cross and all that He said and did. He was reaching out to others, so He looked to the penitent thief and said, Today you'll be with Me in paradise. He was thinking about forgiveness, so He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He was looking forward to going home with His Father, so He said, Father, into Your hands I commit My spirit. He was thinking about His mother and His family. He said to John, John, behold your mother. Take care of her. Woman, behold your son. And Jesus, on the cross wanted to see, wanted us to see Him suffering for the world. So He said, My God, My God, why hast Thou forsaken Me? He said, I am thirsty. I am thirsty. He was suffering before the world. This is life. This is life. What about your life? What about mine? How are we responding? Each of these ideas are very important. There's an enemy... There's an experience, but there's the example of Jesus. He did die for our sins, and we need to be with Him. This morning it may be, in looking at your sin and looking at Jesus, you're ready to put Him on in baptism. Or it may be that you've gotten away from all of this. Maybe all the hurriedness of life has taken you away, and you just want to simply come back home, start your life anew. The Lord... The Lord has has His arms open to us. Please come right now as we stand together as we sing.